Let's do this. Welcome, everybody, to the N Word for Nerd podcast. I'm your host, Jason, here with my co host, Jason, the Duke of all nerds. How's it going, Jason? It's going great. Another beautiful day in paradise. All right. As always, I know you guys are coming here. You were waiting for just what we always hit on. We have our top 10 list today. Our top 10 list is four. Yes, top five. Yes, I gave us 10. Boy, man, that tells you where my brain is. That's how hard I had to calm down to make my list of five. But we're going to do top five black superheroes in our opinion. And so as always, Jason, I'm going to give you the floor first. What is your number five? Number five. All right. Don't guys don't fight me on this. It's just the way it is. Number five for me is Black Panther. You know, and in fact, he just barely made this list. And the reason why is because (laughs) before, you know, Chadwick Boseman's foot, you know, broke his foot off in it. Black Panther was kind of like the white guy's version of what black people like. You know? (laughs) Okay. What do black people like? Uh, Africa. Okay, yeah, yeah. He could be a guy from Africa. Like, you know, that's cool. I love that kind of representation, but I have never been to Africa, even though my ancestors are from there. That really has no sort of representation for me as an African-American. But mm-hmm. then Chadwick Boseman came along, along with Ryan Coogler in their movies, and they made a cultural masterpiece using Black Panther. So that's why he's number five in my list. Okay. All right, number- let me go ahead. I'm going to go to my number five, then we'll just go. We'll play tennis uh, we'll on this one. This time. Okay, cool, cool, yeah, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my number five is Blade. So I'm gonna be. It's gonna be a trend in my list for my for my whole list is going to be about how they impacted my life. So my number five is definitely good old Blade. I mean, and it's I'll be real with you. It's Wesley Snipes. Yeah, it's the first Blade, especially the second Blade. Like that's what got me into it. That and the anime, the Spider Man animated series when Blade showed up on that in the cartoon for a couple episodes. But yeah, no, Blade is just always been dope to me. Just a good character, good mythos. And Blade can be Blade without having to be black. And that's what I like about him a lot is that you could put any race on Blade and it still works, but it just happened to make it even cooler that he was a black vampire that could walk out in a day and beat the fuck out of people. Also, Blade started this whole revival of superhero movies, man. Facts. He was the first to, to, to go to the box office, have a hard R on that sucker, and everybody sat and watched that gun. This was awesome. He even had bullet time before The Matrix. <laughs> yes, yes. Yes, come on, preach. And when I had this argument with people, people like frown their nose up at me when I say that. And I'm like, no, don't give me fucking Raimi Spider-Man. Don't give me fucking, uh, what's the name? The, the, the Molester's X-Men. <laughs> the Molester's fucking, X-Men. Yeah, fucking Blade. Blade started and kicked it off and revigorated superhero movies. So really, black people revigorated superhero movies. And then Gilmore Toro on this on uh, the second one, directing the second one, you know, Loved it. Yeah, it was great. So it good. was great. So good. <laughs> All right, you're number four, Jason. Number four. This is going to be, uh, I think it's pretty obvious, it's going to be Storm. Also one of those characters where it was like, okay, what do black people like? Africa again. Okay, so, but she was our pretty much our first female black superhero. Mm-hmm. She's also one that's probably the most widely known because of our X-Men, the animated series in the early 90s. Uh, Always, even though in the more recent stuff that they've had her in, she's not been depicted very well. But in that original X Men comic book or or series, she was probably one of the best characters uh, next to Wolverine, obviously. But she's 
She's the OG princess. She's a goddess. Come on. She's she's great. So number, <laughs> number four will be Storm. Okay, so I actually have to admit, um, my number four was actually Storm as well. Ah! <laughs> so <laughs> when you said it, I was like, yes. But I'm going to throw, just to throw a curve, a little small one, I'm going to do, and I guess I don't know if they consider this, people consider her black or not. Let's do an honorable man. I'm going to change my four to uh, Gaia from Captain Planet. Is she even a superhero? <laughs> Hey, I guess so. <laughs> I'm a rock with her. She was like Mother Earth. It was a voice by Whoopi Goldberg in the beginning of seasons. Dude, and then yeah. it kind of slowly her, her tan started going away and got uh I think she As got voice. Show went on, she became a little yeah. bit brighter. <laughs> I want to say she even got voiced by I think Margaret Kidder. I think later on. I'll, I'll double check that as we go on through the list. But so my number four initially was Storm, but just so we can keep some diversity in it, I'm gonna go <laughs> Plat Captain Planet's Gaia because she was voiced by um voiced by Whoopi Goldberg. I know that's what made me consider Darth Vader too, because he was voiced by James Earl, but I forgot I wouldn't go that far. We said we saw super heroes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Not hey, genocidal he... maniacs. <laughs> Tomato, tomato, man. <laughs> we have diversity in our all-black character list. All right. <laughs> so who's your number three? Number three. Okay, number three is I'm going to totally cheat. I'm going to lump uh, three characters into this the slot. And these characters mm -hmm. are Luke Fox, Tim Fox, and then also Duke Thomas. And these Great. characters are basically a part of the Bat family. You know, Luke mm -hmm. Fox is Batwing. Uh Tim Fox becomes the future in or future states Batman. And then Duke Thomas is a signal also used to be a former Robin as it was. And the reason I put these characters in as number three is because this is what DC needs to do. And this is one of the things that I love about DC is they, they, they can add in characters that are great, that are diverse without having to replace their older characters. And I always think for me as a great way to put more diverse characters in, it's to start with the Bat family because they don't have mm -hmm. to have superpowers. They're just regular people who are badasses. You know, they don't have to come from Krypton or from Am uh, from Themyscira. <laughs> they can just be picked up off the street and be made superheroes. So, like, why not have more black people in the Bat family? So that's why I picked these three because they're black dudes who can fucking kick ass. <laughs> also, <laughs> they don't I mean, need no powers. It, it going to um. Your Tim Fox thing, I, I like the fact that his Batman mask does cover up his mouth. Yes. <laughs> so, so you don't know which, he's like. <laughs> yes, yes. And guys, when I told somebody that they were like, why does that even matter? I'm like, if, if I was writing a black character that was going to be a vigilante, replacing <laughs> a guy that people know is white, as a black man, I would damn sure make sure that you couldn't know that I was black. Yeah. Like, that, that was common sense. And if you wrote the character any other way, I would have been like, bullshit. Because no black man would went out there perpetrating as a white man and let people find out he's he's not uh, that he's black. And also, if you think about it, if you if you were to make like Bruce Wayne to be black, you know, and he's like a billionaire Bruce Wayne, and all of a sudden black Batman comes on the scene, you're gonna be like, "That's Bruce Wayne." <laughs> right, right. That's Bruce Wayne. Ain't, ain't none of these other black guys having no money. That's Bruce Wayne right there. <laughs> They're gonna pick him out. Like in this way, if Bruce Wayne is white, then like it could be any white guy. I don't know. Black dude, that's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so then we're on number three. So then my number three is Icon. I'm going to roll with Icon here. Um, 
And it's funny, before the show, we were just talking about Icon and uh, his kind of story and background on that. So Icon is a character originally with Milestone, uh, with Milestone characters originally. I think DC Comics eventually ended up buying them. Um, and actually, the most famous person out of this is on my list for later on, which I'm pretty sure he made your list too. I'm almost positive he might have made your list. Let's so uh, who knows? <laughs> right. So I'm gonna go with Icon in there. And one of the beautiful things about his story is like uh you had mentioned too, Jason, that you know, Icon story is pretty much similar to Superman's. Uh Alien comes to the planet, but he comes to the planet in like Civil War era America. And so he grows up as a black man in Civil War era America. But one of the things I like about that, because I don't want to take away from everybody who wants interested in reading, because I think it's a great read, but I think one of the biggest things that for Icon that really shaped me a little bit when I was reading Milestone Comics back in the day, Icon's a Republican. Yeah. He's like he's a yes, conservative <laughs> Republican black superhero. And they talk about that in the books when uh him and uh, I want to say it's a rocket, rocket sometimes yep. would bang heads and like they don't hide it from it. They don't make them seem like, you know, and I don't want to use any derogatory terms for conservative black Republicans, but they never they never tread that way. And when they do tread that way with him, the comeback or the justification for why he feels why he feels is relatable for anybody that's black. Yeah. So I think that's a very hard thing to do to make a sympathetic figure out of a black conservative Republican superhero. But they do a great job. They do a great he that comic book does a better job of it than in reality. Basically. <laughs> so like <laughs> Candace Owen needs to pick up that book and read a chapter out of that and go, oh, this is how you get people to relate to my plight. And figure out why I feel the way I feel. South Carolina was it Tim Scott? Is that the dude from South Carolina? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Tim Scott. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, 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 he made shit to him. <laughs> it's like, okay, it's okay. Him, but... You can be conservative. I, I, you know, I get it. You know, not at all. We don't always have to agree on stuff, but sometimes I can rein it in a little bit. All right, <laughs> just a bit, just an inch, just an inch. But all right, so go. Let's go on to you, Jason. What all right, is so number two, as you guessed it for me, is static. You know, like Milestone did a lot for DC in general. Like they ended up hiring Dwayne McDuffie. He was a part of their animation team. So like you know, the New Adventures of Superman, the Justice League show before Dwayne McDuffie died, um, was a lot. A lot of his you know storylines and creations were a part of the of DC, and you know. I would argue that Static is probably the most famous black superhero, at least in the '90s, he was mm-hmm. because of his cartoon of of his cartoon iteration, which I know I was watching every every Saturday morning. Uh, he's just awesome. He's the the you know he's not only you know a, a, a black teenager that's growing up in a in a not so safe area, but he's not just you know the typical like black thug. He's a smart, intelligent kid. He knows you know. Right from wrong, which is great, but he he knows that his neighborhood is dangerous. But he's not trying to like be better than everybody else. He doesn't think he's better than everybody else, and he's just trying to do what's best for his neighborhood, which is always great to see the character. I love Static; he's the best. Um, yeah, and Milestone in general was revolutionary, not just for black comics, but for as as I said, for comics in general, because Dwayne McDuffie was the goat. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Great choice. Uh, Static <laughs> was my number two as well. <laughs> so, 
in essence of always, because I always want to try to add, especially when we do these kind of segments where we're talking about diversity and things, because there's going to be a lot of people that may not know these characters. So I'm going to bring a one. I'm going to switch out my number two because we picked it. And I'm going <laughs> to change that in for uh, Blue Marvel. Oh, Blue Marvel. man, those are my honorable mentions list. Yes, Blue Marvel. I'm going to bring them on in here. Um, so the great thing about Blue Marvel, or let's say the, the interesting thing about Blue Marvel, Blue Marvel is a retcon. And yeah. so when I say retcon, people don't know what that means, is that they basically took the character and fit him into the timeline and as if he always existed, but just nobody mentioned him until now. So Blue Marvel, basically, Adam Brochure, Brochure smart, intelligent brother, um, has his powers. I mean, his powers pretty much rival, like, the centuries and Supermans and all them. Superman strong. Yeah, he's struggling. And so he fought. He was one of the original superheroes back in the day. But then America found out he was black. So this is back in the race, the really, really racist era. Found out that he was black, and so he could no longer superhero because the white people were basically like they rather—I hate to say—they rather be they rather die to be saved by a nigga. So it, it's a so he he goes into hiding in the shield, and everybody covers him up and erases all the things about him and his identity, blah blah. blah. So no one ever talks about him again. And then in Martin Day Marvel, I believe it's Tony Stark, maybe. Uh, if I'm correct, I got the research, I got to remember it again. But I believe it's Tony Stark realizes that this guy exists and something's going on and they need his help. And that's what brings him back into the fold. But uh, Blue Marvel, he was on my honorable mentions as well. But <laughs> again, we're going to do diversity. We might as well do it to the to the win. And I guarantee you, we both had the same number one. But if we do it the same number one, I'm going to keep it because we maybe I already know. I already know we got the same number one. And guys, I don't know. just so I don't you know, know, we don't script this show. So. <laughs> I'm finding out his top five on the fly, but I guarantee you we probably had the same number one. So go I ahead, know, Jason. Let's see. We're going Who to number one? number one. Yes. My, my number one, I don't know. My number one is John fucking Stewart. 100%. Freeland. My number one as well. Oh. Yep. Well, <laughs> look, he's, uh, I think he might have been DC's first black character. I, I believe he predates uh, Black Lightning by a couple of years. I might be wrong. You know, uh, please fact check me on that if you want. But uh, I think his best sort of depiction has come in with that Justice League, the animated show, where, you know, it's so easy, especially when we're in the 90s and the early 2000s, for black people, especially black men, to fall into caricature. They're usually, in a lot of the movies and things like that, are always, like, silly characters. They're always either, like, the damn straight, that's whack kind of guys, or they're the magical <laughs> Negro who's only there to, like, support the white guy's growth. John Stewart is not that dude. He is calm. He's collected. He's stoic. He is serious. He's a professional. He takes his job as Greenlander seriously, far more seriously than Hal Jordan ever did. All right. Mm -hmm. uh, he is like, he's always the grown up in the room. Even when like you in the room with Batman and Superman and Wonder Woman, he's the guy that are just like, is this cool? Is this cool, John? You're like, yeah, let's go. Let's go along with that. All right. And also, the number number one reason why he's the best Green Lantern is he's the only one that never gets clowned by Batman. All right? Right. right. <laughs> Hal Jordan gets painted. They paint Batman paints himself yellow to beat ass, beat Hal Jordan's ass. Uh, Guy Gardner gets knocked out in one punch. Uh, Kyle Rayner gets uh, the Batman has, you know, his plans to, and he gets stolen by Rachel Gould and Kyle. John Stewart is the only one he never fucked with because he, he's a respectable dude. Like he, he is the absolute epitome of black superheroes in my in my opinion. 
He's not out there, you know, shucking and jiving just to make white people feel good. He's out there being a professional. He's out there doing his job as the best he can. And he's looking damn good doing it as well. Number one, John Stewart by far. Look, I'm not even going to spend much more time on it than you said because you hit it perfectly on the head. He, for everybody our age, he is the first legitimate, uncompromising. Like, I put it this way it, when you think of a black man in America that is about his business and handling it, John Stewart is that guy. So he's the first black comic book character I remember seeing on TV on the cartoon that just was just unapologetically black and just dope. Yeah. Like even episodes of justice league, when he goes back to his hood in his neighborhood and he got <laughs> all the respect and like, it was just like, yeah. It, for, for people that are younger, when you watch the Luke Cage series on Netflix and how Luke Cage is treated in his hood, once he gets his name, that was John Stewart for us. Like it yeah, was back to the barbershop. Like, Oh, John, what's up? <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm with you. That's how I figured we had the same one because, uh, yeah, like I, I I, could throw somebody in, but it'd be disrespectful to Jon Stewart. He is the number one black superhero for me. I think for most people, I think the Latin core, uh, the Lantern Quarter is supposed to be HBO Max is supposed to be doing. Hopefully, he's a feature and a highlight in it. Um, he doesn't have to take a second seat to Hal Jordan and all the other. I mean, Hal's the only one he should take a a seat to to a degree. Just because Howe's the Just most popular. Only yeah, yeah, yeah. But popular by name value. Howe's probably the most popular by name value. And they make Howe go through shit all through the comics. So you, a lot of it's self-imposed. But they make him go through a lot in the comics. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm right there with you, man. Shit. I also man, have I, to say, for also John Stewart's backstory is also mm-hmm. fairly different from other black characters' backstories as well. Even though, like... He's from Detroit, which, you know, don't get me wrong. Black people are from Detroit. I, <laughs> it always seems that, you know, whenever they make create a black character, they're either from Harlem or from Africa or from some inner city area, even though we're from all over the country, all over the world, really. Right. But unlike Luke Cage or the Falcon, who are black African-American uh, superheroes, John Stewart was never in a gang. He was never a pimp. He was a soldier. He became an architect, you know, like. He was the anti-stereotype for right. a black man, which is, you know, also refreshing to see. It's just like, you know, the black life is not a monolith. We Not all of us had to deal with gang violence. Not all of us grew up in the hood. You know, right. some of us, you know, take different paths than the traditional stereotype of what black people are. And John Stewart is one of those people who took that different path or not even different path. That's another path, right? Right, and right. That is just so refreshing to see for me, especially as a black man growing up in America. So Absolutely. So, guys, I mean, uh, this episode is going to be black as hell. So <laughs> if you're not ready for that, I'm saying, like, I made the throw on the CB4 clip. I'm black, <laughs> y'all, and I'm black, y'all, because this episode is going to be black as hell. So going to our new segment that we started last week. It's time for Geek News. news. So starting off in <laughs> starting off with Geek News, the first one we have is um, this is one of those things that I say, uh, no duh. Like really? Sony is, con- is going to connect Tom Holland Spider-Man to the Venom movies. Really, Sony? You you had to announce that. You, you <laughs> own all the characters. What do you think about that, Jason? Well, they should have done that before they made the Venom movie. That's what <laughs> they should have done. Like, <laughs> I love Tom Hardy as a 
actor. I liked him in the movie as in the Venom movie. I did not like Venom as a movie. And it's one of the main reasons is because there's no Spider-Man. And like for me as a comic book geek, Venom is not as interesting without his, you know, connection to Spider-Man. You know, like it's great that he has like I mean, if they make him a good guy from the the jump, his whole, you know, redemption arc to becoming his anti-hero is just null and void. So like right. I, I I just can't get down with this, you know, with Sony trying to make these villains as main characters without the reason why they're villains and make them interesting in the first place. So great, Sony, you you did the bare minimum. Good job. <laughs> or you're well, going to do the bare minimum. Good job. Well, speaking of people that are doing things to get all the money, because you know who has all the money? Disney and Marvel have all the money. You know what they do? They make sure they get all of our money. It is being rumored and possibly almost confirmed that 2023 will have five, yes, five Marvel movies in that year. Jason, can we handle that kind of Marvel overload? Will our heads (laughs) explode or we just decide we get a Marvel exhaustion? What will it be? Uh, A little bit of both. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> like by the end by December I might be like oh man I'm tired of these Marvel movies but I'm still sitting in the theater watching them so uh, yeah um, I hope that uh, what's the guy's name Kevin Feige is a little bit better of a producer than Kathleen Kennedy is and not oversaturate us with Marvel but with that being said he's also given us fan-centric sort of movies thus far Mm -hmm. and whereas you know regardless of where you sit on how like you how much you like the the latter trilogies of movies the latter movies of the star wars a lot of them have kind of fell flat for fans so if kevin feige keeps doing the thing and keeps making good movies five movies is great if he just kind of phone a few in you know don't make things that you're not passionate about so I, I will be quietly reserved that this will be a positive thing rather than a negative, but I won't be like ups- I won't be like sad if it comes out to be bad because I'd be like, you know, it's kind of what this they're gonna drive everything into the ground eventually. <laughs> right, right. And speaking of driving everything into the ground, our next one, which I, I can't even say it, they they're taking the concept flipped it on his head, inserted a little energy into it. And I feel like every season they just get a little more, they up it up a little more with nostalgia and with craziness. So season four of Cobra Kai has announced the infamous Terry Silver will be involved in this episode, in this season of it. Uh, for those who don't remember Terry Silver, he is the one that took over for Creedy after, what is it, Karate Kid 2? Uh, yes, was it 2? I'm I think so. Yep, three was... I'm, keep going. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. So he took off for two. So Terry Silver is going to be back in the building, I guess, to help Cree, uh, I guess, take down Johnny Lawrence more again. <laughs> who, who knows? But I'm here for it. Jason, what say you? Are you here for Cobra Look, Kai season four with Terry? <laughs> this is what's so great about Cobra Kai is the fact that, you know, Ralph Macchio and I can't remember the other dude's name. They are involved in the show. This is their baby, basically. This is their legacy. So they are super into making this the best thing that they possibly can. This isn't like a cynical, I mean, it probably for Netflix is a cynical crash grab, but for the people who are actually making it, this is their their passion. You know, Ralph Mosher hadn't had a job since Karate Kid. He needs this. He needs this to be good. <laughs> right? And that's why it is good, because he's because he's 
they have passion for it. So, you know, I'm in for it. I'm all for it. You know, I love nostalgia. It's great. I always wonder if this, I always wonder if this Cobra Kai decision came from, uh, I don't know if you watch How I Met Your Mother, but like one of the characters, Barney in there. I mean, yeah, I I, I used to assume that everybody watched it. Everybody was like, who watches that shit? And I was like, oh, okay, sorry. I I don't watch it either. What am I talking (laughs) about? Uh, uh, But, you know, the character Barney on there always talks about the Karate Kid, and he always talks about Johnny Lawrence is the Karate Kid because, you know, he was the kid that knew karate, not the punk from New Jersey that just learned a couple of moves and, like, whatever. So I always wonder if Cobra Kai was birthed out of that skit because he used to talk about Johnny Lawrence being the good guy in that movie. So I can remember there. Because as we were talking earlier, you know, Johnny Lawrence was just a dude who had a girlfriend. He was he was a wasn't a bad guy. He was an asshole teenager, as most of us were asshole teenagers were. And you see somebody hitting your girlfriend, you know, you're gonna be upset with them. Did he handle it in the right way? No, but you know, who handles things in the right way when they're teenagers? Nobody yeah, does. Yeah. So like Nobody. he's not a bad guy in my book. You know, and also Ralph Macchio was like 45 when he shot Karate Kid, so he wasn't really a child. <laughs> <laughs> but which brings me into Karate Kid, the movie with uh, Jaden Smith and uh, Jackie Jack. Chan. Mm. Completely racist because there's no karate in that movie whatsoever. It took place in China. They were practicing Kung Fu. Who let that go by? Like, who was like, yo, we should name this Karate, this karate Kid? I thought in the Asian marketing version of it, it's called Kung Fu Kid in the Asian market, I believe. I yeah. think for the U.S., because they wanted branding, they they kept it the Karate Kid. Like, I would expect, like, maybe, you know, I know Jap- I know Jackie Chan is actually, you know, Chinese, but maybe he was going to play, like, a Japanese person, which would be pretty racist, too. But, but and teaching him kar- karate, which would, con- you know, counteract the Kung Fu. Nope, they're all learning Kung Fu in China. Which is what they do in China, and they still name this movie Karate Kid, which is karate is a traditional Japanese martial arts, and they, it's just uh like there was not one person of color in that boardroom when they made that decision. So, oh, hundred percent, come on, man, you know that. That's really frustrating <laughs> to me. <laughs> All right, and then the last thing I have for geek news, which people probably already know, uh, Netflix is putting the cast together for their Sandman series. It's going to be animated series. Oh, go ahead. Jason's ready. Go ahead. Uh, well, we're, we're going to talk about this uh, in another segment, but uh, they cast somebody for death. Yes. There's a little <laughs> bit of uh, controversy over this fictional, you know, immortal being being a person of color now. And also, which I don't understand there, they also cast a, uh, uh, a non-binary person as Desire. And some people are mad at that. And like, did you even read Sandman? Like, you desire ask, was completely non-binary <laughs> in a time where we didn't know what non-binary was. Like, right? y'all just complaining like, just to complain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, yeah, because I guess death has to have a proper color, I guess. All yeah. right. Uh, so that ends up geek news for us. Hopefully you guys, everybody enjoyed that. So like I told you guys earlier, this is probably going to be the blackest episode. Uh, probably not the blackest. It's going to be one of the blackest episodes we probably ever do in our, in our lifetime with the N-Word for Nerd podcast. So for people who do not know, the... And so I, I I struggle with how to phrase this, but the hundred year remembrance of the biggest terrorist act on American soil. What's on the told? Oh, I mean, it's the biggest by death numbers and et cetera. Um, Tulsa, Oklahoma, 
because I hate I don't want to use the word anniversary. I feel like anniversary is a celebration. So yeah. I just want to say the hundred year remembrance of Tulsa, Oklahoma, where a it was a basically a black town. Everything black people ran the schools, the banks, everything in there. Even had a black Wall Street set up. And the story goes: angry white people from the opposing town were upset and went in and basically terrorized the area off the lie that some black people had possibly raped or harassed a white woman. Nothing was ever confirmed if that was true or not. And regardless if it was, it does not give you the right to destroy a whole town. But this was in the Jim Crow era. So they went and basically levied this whole town. And we're finally now, 100 years later, really starting to put some respect in the tragedy on the name of that incident. What are the or things I think learning about it for some people? Oh, absolutely. And I was going to say, one of the things I think helped push that narrative of people learning about it is that we had two shows recently talk about and hit that subject matter. One was uh, Lovecraft Country and the other one was Watchmen or some people like to when they're haters call it Wokeman. Um, <laughs> so with that being said, let's talk about Lovecraft Country and its depiction of Tulsa. I kind of received the floor. You, you Jason, and uh, what are your thoughts on their depiction of it and the series? And we'll just kind of just round table talk from there. All right. So this is not, I'm not going to be subtle whatsoever. Uh, I think Lovecraft Country and particularly their depiction of, of, of the Tulsa Massacre is on the same level as like the 16th Chapel. It's a, it's a work of art that should be remembered throughout time and shown in schools and taught in art classes. This is probably one of the things that was masterfully done. It, I was not, I, you know, I talk about crying a lot. I was in full sobbing mode by the end of this episode. This show for me is revolutionary. It has shown me things that as in my short 37 years of life have never seen on TV. It has shown me representation that I've never ever had it had experience and it's by far and, and it's a travesty because this show doesn't get recognized I, I looked at you know the award season for this year and there's mm. one mention of lovecraft country uh for best drama picture or best drama show for the golden globes it's not even nominated for an emmy and this has been like to me like a cultural defining show like from the very beginning, using like pop culture references from um, John, the uh, Princess of Mars to uh, Indiana Jones to you know other uh, to Lovecraft himself in the show, and then placing black characters in the forefront of it was just it's I I'm speechless how how good this is, you know, and like from the very first in, uh, scene where he's having that dream sequence where Jackie Robinson comes down from the spaceship. And kills Cthulhu with a baseball bat. Mm -hmm. It says, "I got you, kid." I was completely sold in. And then they go and they do, you know, a horror show with with the Shoglops and being chased by the mountain monsters. But that wasn't even the scariest part of that episode. The scariest part was them trying to get out of the county, you know, before sundown. You know, right. that's what made me have my heart pumping. Even though afterwards, there's these giant vampire blood beasts or whatever. This. This show has done so many things for so many different sort of demographics from not only just black men like myself, but black women, 
not uh, you know our LGBTQ community with Montrose, you know, coming to his realization in a time where it was not good to be gay at all, plus being black, to even right. uh, like um, this one thing that really, really, really um, resonated with me is, um, you know, I talk. We talk about this sometimes that I'm writing a novel. It's about black people, but. My mom has asked me, you know, once I finish with this novel, could you ever write a novel, you know, you know, where the main character is a middle-aged African-American woman? Because really, we don't really get to see many stories about middle-aged African women. In this show, we have probably one of the best character realizations of a black woman that I've ever seen. It goes into pulp sci-fi. It deals with, you know, history like like the the uh, Dominique Malaje, the you know Amazonian warriors, mm-hmm. it's just like it hits on every single level, and it's just so good. And I'm surprised that many people have not seen how important this show is. And you know that's just my humble opinion, but it's great. It's just and and then we get on to the references that they make to the actual history that has happened in this country. From, you know, Emmett Till is in this to, you know, obviously the Tulsa Race Massacre. And then, you know, we have, um, can't remember the lady's name off the top of my head, but, you know, she was the first black uh, woman to ride across the country on her motorcycle. You know, she was famous. Right. Uh, Josephine Baker, you know, all sorts of stuff was just, you know, peppered into this just to bring this world to being as fully realized for the time frame that they're in as possible. And even though the book, was written by a white man. Uh, I, I believe her name is uh, Misha Green. Took that that source material and brought it to where it was actually something that many black people, not just myself but others as well, can truly feel as something that was their own. And I loved it for it. And we can go on to Watchmen afterwards. But I feel like even though Watchmen is probably the show that has the most accolades. This show is a far superior piece of work in so many more ways than than than, than I just described. It is just amazing, and I hope this people will not only see this and study about the Tulsa massacre, but also about other things that happened that are similar, to like like Rosewood or Seneca Village, or even here in Georgia, down in Fulton County, called Oscarville, where they chased a thousand black people out of town, and they yes. stayed like that until 1991. And even to this day, there's not a lot of black people that live up in Fulton County. You know, I, I was warned about going to Fulton County was out when I was a kid by my parents, not realizing what had happened there. So, like, it brings so much history to life, and it's just, it's it's a great show. It's a great, and it's a great remembrance of the thing of the past that has not been taught to us that we are told to get over when we say things like Black Lives Matter, when we say things like you know equality for all, justice for all, or even just abolish the fucking police. Because guess what? Who was in that riot when they were murdering people? The fucking police. police and they've always been like, every lynching that's ever happened, guess who was there? The fucking police. And so, as you can see, well, yeah, he said he wasn't going to be light about it. And again, I hopefully people that are listening respect the honesty and the truthfulness of your statements. I will say with Lovecraft Country, 
So let's even rewind back before even just this show. Let's rewind to the simple fact that people don't think there is a market for black science fiction, horror, or fantasy. So let's even just start there. Yes. Like it's the reason why we don't get cast in those roles, and it's the reason why they don't tell our stories is because they don't think it's a market of it, a market for it. For just a yeah. second, on that point, I have a buddy of mine who went to NYU to study as a screenwriter so he can eventually, you know, make movies one day. And mm -hmm. he liked to write basically black fantasy. In one of his screenwriting classes, he turns in a screenplay for a black fantasy, and the teacher hands it back to him and says, you know, normally we like to see stories, you know, about black people, you know, overcoming struggles in the streets and things like that. And this really is not what, you know, movie theaters are looking for. So, like, you told a creator to not create because right. it's not what you want to see, and it's. But please continue. Go on. That's just no, no, no. It, 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 you, you, you hit right on the head, kind of where I was going with that. I was going to say that a lot of us are deterred from wanting to tell our story in a a social, entertaining way with allegory because we're pushed away from it because they don't think there's a market for it. Hopefully, that shows like ourselves and a lot of shows that I watched that I emulated to even come up with this show and when the, called the Blurber Sphere, you know, the Black Nerd Sphere, is starting to break those things down. Watchmen and I like Lovecraft uh, Country are the first things to show you can do this and we will follow. But you got to think about it. Even we just talked about it earlier. Blade, hard R rating superhero movie, black black cast. Black hero, let's be real. The only real villains in there were all white. And <laughs> it made a ton of money. Uh, Black Panther, it hit a billy, yes, because it's Marvel, but it hit a billy because all the black folks came out. I mean, black folks were coming in there with dashikis and stuff to go watch Black Panther, who had never saw a Marvel movie before. The market is there for black entertainment. Uh, Bad Boys for Life, uh, I know which is this action, not in the genre, but was the number one movie of 2020. Now we can say because of COVID, cool, but the numbers don't lie. If you make things to us that's good, interesting, and intelligent, not disrespecting us, we'll go see it. Stop giving us trauma porn. Yeah. And that's what I call it, all the slave movies and all that. Stop giving us trauma porn. If you're going to give us this quote-unquote trauma porn, put it into, like you said, a situation of a sci-fi, of a fantasy narrative that you're correlating things. You hit it right on the head. The scariest part of Lovecraft Country the, uh, the whole time were the white folks. Mm -hmm. With all the <laughs> monsters and shit that's going around from succubus, succubus to everything. Human the children. Scariest, <laughs> yes, the scariest thing about that show was the white folks in racism. Because you know what? That's what we deal with on a regular day basis. We deal with white folks in racism, even if it's hidden, undercover, subliminal, subconscious. We can't be ourselves. That's why even when you, on our extremely black show, had to be like, Hey, sorry guys, because I'm about to really go in. Like, <laughs> why should we have to do that? Like, it's it, a part man. of us, right? We we, get, <laughs> we are so indoctrinated to do that. It's crazy. And these are shows that are like, nah, like these are people who are placed in these situations, and some of the situations they encounter are because of the color of their skin. Yeah. Rather than these, the color of their skin it's makes them in these situations. Like, right? Yeah. Every slavery movie is because the color of their skin made them in this way. And if for some reason it appeases to people who aren't black to feel comfortable with watching this type of thing. But when you watch things that are uplifting or showing a true story of black folks, but putting a twist that makes us uh, relate, then it's, oh, it's too woke. Yeah. It's woke. Oh, oh, you go woke, you go broke. 
Because you were so why is it that you were to see us get beat and whipped and destroyed? It gets Academy Awards and everybody praises how great it is. But then things about us that if these were white characters could pretty much almost run the same. It's oh, you're being too woke. Oh, don't give me racism in the black plight. Like, uh, like because it is a mentality set up in these in Hollywood, just like you said, we don't want to write or don't want to hear from you when you're actually showing progression and uplifting and whatever. But yet everybody's argument is, well, why don't you guys just lift yourselves up by your bootstraps and do X, Y, and Z? But you don't show us those images on TV. You don't show us those images on, on, on cartoons and movies. Like the fact that John Stewart is our number one because of he's just a real ass dude. He's just a dude. <laughs> yeah, regardless of race, was a real ass dude. This is not our number one. Why? Because he was just a real ass dude. Lovecraft Country, the fact that we love it so much is that these are people dealing with their day to day. And we even get the allegory of one of the characters being able to be white. Yes. And she even sees the flaws of having to be white and how it, it's unnatural to her and how she functions and how she moves in the world and the things that she wants to do, the things that she wants to say. Like, and it, even in like the, the main villain of Lovecraft Country, she's the villain because she's a woman and she has to deal with this, even as her as a white woman. She is dealing with the patriarchy of this overtly racist and sexist system, and she's trying to break out from that. Yeah, she's right. trying to use you know the blood of black people to do it, but she's trying to break out from the system that is detrimental to her as well. So it's 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 not just just like it's all marginalized groups that that are are suffering in this country. It's not just black people or women. It's black people. It's women. It's you know, LGBTQ plus people, mm -hmm. it's indigenous people, it's Hispanic people, it's Asian people, it's all being systematically brutalized by the white supremacist system that we've had in place that we haven't had a conversation about ever. When Martin Luther King did it, he just did, he. what he really did was say that we need to have a conversation and then they right. shot him for it. We have right. still not had the conversation. We have still not reconciled all the things, all the trauma of our past. And we and the thing is, they don't want to. They are actively fighting to not tell true history of this country. Exactly. They're actively trying to suppress what has happened. And that is only going to lead to more strife and to more bloodshed in this country until we can reconcile the American dream with the American reality. And right. these shows, and even shows that don't go into black trauma, shows that show like black joy or just being having, you know, characters of that aren't white cisgendered men doing things that are would be normally a white cisgendered character is important because it furthers the conversation, and that is and those things are important because it raises us all up, not just me, not just people that look like me, but all of us absolutely absolutely and you know just the final run on <clears throat> lovecraft county and country and then we'll switch over to watchmen not only do the stories need to be told but even for our people our people especially people in our age group and especially younger than us we're so tired of hearing the same stories about our past oh dr king malcolm x Oh, Muhammad Ali. Oh, Harriet Tubman. Rosa Parks. Like, we're so tired of hearing those stories that sometimes you have to find in a creative way 
to give us the information without quote unquote sounding preachy. Because as as much as some white people or other races will turn off from getting the woke talk or the woke stuff, our people turn off from it too because we feel like everything that deals with us has to be a message. Everything that yeah. deals with us has to be some kind of you got to be serious now. You got to take this. We're putting these things into different genres where we can see it, experience it, internalize it. But then also, you could do whatever you want with sci-fi and fantasy. You know, you you got you know tick like beating up a bunch of white people with a baseball bat and gets away <laughs> with it. Like that's yeah. what happened in reality. That don't you happen. Have, <laughs> you have Hippolyta becoming basically a space god. You know, right. Right. all because she realizes her self-worth. <laughs> right. And so those are the stories we want to see. We want to see things where I don't want to say like where we win at the end. But, yes, things where we feel confident that it is a light at the end of the tunnel. It is a brighter world. We are moving to a spot where we are going to become, you know, the, the greater, the better persons of ourselves or accept or whatever the case may be. If, you know, acceptance or, you know, less of sexism or gen- Whatever the case may be, everybody wants to leave with that message of, hey, this is where we can go. We're tired of leaving with the message of, well, man, that, that's our past, and we're still dealing with, with it today. And it's like, uh, come on, man, give me something more than that. Give, give me Django. Give me some dude that's shooting down. Like, you know what I'm saying? Give me give me a slave rebellion where the slave or, don't die at the end. Like, or, give me uh, some of that. Uh, uh, speaking of Watchmen or a movie about Bass Reeves, he's out, this sheriff, this first black sheriff who was in yep. the, you know, that would be a great movie to watch, you know? Well, we won't get it. So let's go on switch gears to Watchmen. And as we go there, so Watchmen, they, they opened their show. <laughs> they opened the show. When I tell you, when they opened their show with Tulsa, I was watching it in my bedroom. And they opened it. I leaned up, got out of bed, got to the edge of my bed, and I started watching because I had never seen anybody be bold enough to tell that story, let alone not even tell that story, but to do it unapologetically so, where it literally just laid it on the line. It showed the brutality, the violence of the terrorism that took place there. And I I was incredibly intrigued. And Watchmen did something that I think we just talked about showing something to us more than just our people losing blah, blah, blah. Watchmen showed a world in the era of the world where, you know what, maybe we fixed a little bit of this racial stuff, but it's still some bad stuff going on. You know what? A cop can't just pull his gun. He has to ask for permission. You know what? We get to reparations for the, 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 the descendants of people in Tulsa. Like we got some things that are progressively honorable to be done. And they showed a world where this could happen and work. And I feel like that was scary to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> a lot of people did not like this show. A lot of people who are original fans of either the Zack Snyder version of Watchmen or have read the com- the graphic novel of Watchmen did not like the show. And I believe it's because, well, anybody that watched the Zack Snyder version probably didn't get what this was about in the first place. Right, right. But people didn't really understand that Alan Moore was kind of subverting, you know, conservatism and, you know, basically 80s culture in the Watchmen, the original Watchmen. And in this show, they basically Watchmen eyes the original Watchmen. They subvert mm-hmm. the tropes from Watchmen and 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 to to make it something that's, you know, palpable for today, you know, for the day's time. Because this came out, you know, uh I think it was before George Floyd was murdered, but after yeah. you know Trayvon Martin and Tamir Rice and and you know the countless of other names that we can just list and keep listing forever. Right. But 
when I saw Tulsa 1921, I I screamed because you know that is something that I'm aware that that has happened because you know my parents have gone out of their way to teach us you know black history that isn't taught in schools, but it was not something that I would ever thought that someone would actually that anybody actually knew about, let alone right. they're gonna write you know a show about it like you know like and put it as the primary like you know, impetus for a character that was in the Watchmen comic books doing the things that they were doing. And, and, and that was really amazing to see that this, like, this is what, what this moment in, in our history, this moment that was indignantly of black people was what started this cultural phenomenon in that universe, because Hooded Justice was the first uh, super superhero or vigilante mm -hmm. in that universe. Right. And he was a black man. And that was freaking amazing that they did that. And it's, it's, it was, uh, and this show keeps going, especially when you say like, they, you know, it's a different world than ours and they inverted some of the things that might, that would have happened in our real world, but still brought it back that, you know, just because you might've gotten reparations, just because we might've recognized this things happen, you know, we have the flip side where there's going to be people, people who don't give a shit. <laughs> right, don't right. Care to make things better for everybody, who are just still going to be like, no, you know, I like it back when y'all were still on the plantation. I want to go back to that, and that is also like kind of what we are dealing with today. <laughs> right, right. So, I mean, this this show was like it, it's it's not like as I said, it's not one of those shows. It does show black trauma, but it's not a show about black trauma which is also great. And it also made Dr. Manhattan black, which was fucking phenomenal. <laughs> right. It gave and, me, like, uh... and I know it made so many people mad, but it's like, this dude could literally do whatever the fuck he feels like. Why not let him be black for a while? You know? And even, I remember that it even gave me feels of, um, Martian Manhunter. A lot of yeah. incarnations of Martian Manhunter. He takes the role as a black man as he He's walks through the earth. Usually and, a black dude. <laughs> yeah, and I, I when I when it was revealed that Doctor Manhattan was the husband, I was like, "That is dope." Like he, <laughs> like like you talked about it. It was just a very good twist. But what did also, and I know you were saying you you like Lovecraft uh, Country a little bit more. I did enjoy Watchmen a bit more than Lovecraft Lovecraft Country, only because I did like the fact that this world they had built, we kind of were seeing how it all works. And I guess, and I got a kick out of. The changes in history, even yeah. the Watchmen comic does the changes in it. But seeing the Hooverville, you know, trailer park area, like it, it I love that Robert Redford's the president now, who, <laughs> yeah. you know, a la the uh, you know, Ronald Reagan and recently Trump situation where you had basically celebrity TV people become the president, and all. so I did like that and mirrored that. I also enjoyed that they did sprinkle in a huge discussion about classism. And how classism shapes racism. Yes. And I thought that was interesting because I get a lot of people, my conservatives, brothers and sisters that I talk to, they lean so heavily into classism, but yet never really want to change the class's attitude. But that's what they want to talk about. That's the denouncing of racism. Is, and, oh, and what class. they don't understand is that in this country, race is tied to class. Absolutely. I always, <laughs> call, I always call classism the, the knucklehead cousin of racism. Yeah, like racism's the the straightforward one. The knucklehead cousins classism. So you kind of oh well, he's a knucklehead, so that's why that happens. And they they touched on that a lot. They touched on that class aspect with racism, 
But then it also goes to things like you said from these they've subverted the books. Rorschach is a bad guy. He is a terrible human being. He is yes. literally a person who thinks he's a good guy, but he is not. <laughs> but Zack Snyder made him like they basically gave him a baby face treatment in the movie. So people didn't read the book, watch the movie, and think Rorschach's a good guy. And I'm like, no, Rorschach is a terrible human being that just happens to do like do be worse to other terrible human beings. Like, I think with, that's with, it. With Rorschach, people, especially with people who actually read the graphic novel, what they think the moral of it was that he was an uncompromising individual. And that is like something that is to be admired. But the problem is he was uncompromising in his sexism, in his racism, in his fascism. He was yes. explicitly a fascist. <laughs> like he said, I am a fascist. That's what he said. And it doesn't mean that Adrian Veidt, you know, Ozymandias was right. They were both wrong. That was That's the whole thing. It's like this guy who is willing to kill a whole bunch of people just to make it right was also still wrong, as much as wrong as the guy who's like, we, you shouldn't do that. You should, even though it's already done, we could, I should undermine this, this thing just because I want to be right. So like, right. Rorsak is a bad individual. Ozymandias is a bad individual. Even true said, was like, you're the smartest man in the, in the show. You're the smartest man in the world. And that was the best you could think of. <laughs> right, right, right. For people watching on TV, I'm showing the oldest living member of, uh, that's still alive from the Tulsa incident. And so, She's, I guess, sitting in front of, I believe, Congress and all that as they were, because they are talking about hopefully the descendants of that getting some kind of compensation, et cetera, which 100 years later, they're just now talking about that. So that shows you how how long our process of justice and um, and reparations does take. Uh, basically, had to slaughter people for them to even talk about 100 years later. 100 so years. with that, yeah, yeah, that's just insane. But going to that point of then uh, Watchmen also, a great thing also about Watchmen is that... <laughs> They upped the sci-fi tropes in this one so much more than I thought. You know, the, the squid raining, which is a direct thing from the comics that most people who watch the, the movie won't get. So yeah. the squid raining part was just really, really dope. Um, Ozymandias being trapped inside his own statue. really It's so many good moments in there that's just very sci-fi-ish that I really, really enjoy. But I think, I, and I think also, too, I mean, let's just shout it out to the queen, man. You get Regina up in there, Regina King up in there doing her thing. <laughs> The queen so, or the king. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's be real. Like, you know, she does her thing. And then, and I know people, a lot of people didn't like it. But like I said, but we both agree. If you didn't lo- like the new Watchmen, it's because you didn't understand the Watchmen books. You obviously couldn't have understood the Watchmen books and watched the new one and, and dislike it off some quote unquote wokeness when, again, the whole original Watchmen was basically political was satire. Being, of being woke. <laughs> right, right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but any closing thoughts on Watchmen for you, Jason? Uh, yeah, it's another wonderful show. Uh, in my opinion, it's it's. When I was watching it, I thought it was a masterpiece, and then I watched Lovecraft Country, and it just. <laughs> so put them both in the you know put them both in the museum. I guess you know would be the thing. Uh, one of my things with the Watchmen is that even though we start off with the Tulsa riots, we don't mm. really spend much time there. It's really only like that first like fifteen minute segment that we have for the Watchmen show, which, you know, it, it's, you know, the catalyst for the whole entire show, but we're only there for 15 minutes. Whereas in Lovecraft Country, we are there for a whole entire episode. We are there where characters who already lived through it are going back and reliving their experience 
and also remembering the horror that they all, they went through at that time. You know, that scene where, um, Jesus, I can't freaking remember the actor's name. Michael K. Oh, um, yeah, I can't think of it. The, um, Type it up. The father. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The character's yeah. name is Montrose. Omar from The Wire. Where yeah. he is sitting there watching the city burning and naming the real life people who have died and naming the real life businesses that burned down and naming like the things that actually happened. Like I was bawling. And then when we get to the to and this is probably the, the biggest thing about it is that when we get to the part where uh, uh, Letitia tells Tick's grandmother that she's got to die in order for Tick to live. Yep, and yep. she makes that choice to burn alive with the rest of her family just so her ancestor can someday have a better life. That, that I, I felt that you know, because right. that's what I mean. Maybe they didn't make a conscious choice in doing that, but that's what our ancestors did. That's what my parents did. That's what my grandparents did. They had to eat shit so that I could have a better life, you know, and. That's why I guess for me that escalated to the next level. So, and all the other sci-fi shit that happened too. <laughs> Again, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, we, I think it's harder on this show on this week's show because we agree on a lot of it. And uh, this is one that we probably gonna have a little bit, a little bit dissension on. Uh, we're going to talk about comic books in general and TV, race swapping characters to, I guess, add more diversity and inclusion into whatever they think is going to make the shows or the situation better. So I'm going to go with my homely, safe, you know, liberal snowflake take. <laughs> it's going to be very coddling because me and my friends talked about this before, and he was a huge uh, – he hated the whole race swap thing and because we talked about, like, oh, they got a new Incredible Hulk that's Asian. And he's like, oh, why do you got to be Incredible Hulk? Can't he be, like, Kung Fu Hulk? Which is kind of racist, but <laughs> the point he was getting to, but the point he's getting to was like make a whole new character. Why does it have to be the next of this X, Y, and Z? And kind of like you we talked about earlier, I said, well, DC characters has had a long line of making the new face the same name as the old face, just with a new face. But I know with this conversation, we're more talking about them taking somebody like recently they WB announced that they may possibly look at doing a black Superman. But not doing the black version of Superman that's in their books, doing Kal-El, Clark Kent, the white guy, as a black guy and going forward with it. I will say this. I'm not against race, race swap characters. I'm not saying I'm, I'm, I'm waving the flag for it. But I do think that because a lot of us weren't allowed to be in those rooms and get the entry levels to create comics in the past, to create a lot of the iconic characters that we talk about today, except for in the Marvel Universe. They use a lot of B and C characters. But, you know, the, a, the A-list characters, the, the X-Men, you know, the Justice League, etc. those writers were white. Those creators of these characters were white. So they created themselves or some part of themselves or part of their community or part of their history into these characters. Superman was created by two Jewish people. Why? Because they wanted a man who could pretty much overcome everything because of what Jews were facing at the time in America and in overseas in Germany, etc. Also, Superman is canonically Jewish. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, correct. The reason why I say that I'm fine with it is because because of the racism, 
we weren't allowed in those doors to show our books, to make our books, and to be able to have these iconic characters that trace back to that along that while back. And the characters we did have from that era, they either made a reasons why we could no longer use them or be produced, or they were we would make the idea and they would make white people write the stories for these black characters. So for me, I look at it as almost a, I don't want to say a comeuppance, but almost like a, a semi-writing the shit. Being like, hey, look, the only reason this character is really technically white is because a white man was writing him at the time. If, if it would have been in this era, this character probably is be, let's be real, Magneto or Professor X should be black. And I yeah. know they're throwing around the idea of Magneto being black in an update of it because they're going to do the uh, Rwanda genocide as Magneto's origin story going forward. That's the that's thing that's being thrown around heavily in Marvel Comics because the Jewish, you know, the Jewish and um, Germany Holocaust thing is so far removed. Magneto's going to be like 100, you know, 70, <laughs> 150 years old. Year old. Yeah, yeah. So they have to update it and they're using think about doing the Rwanda and making them black. If if it was if X-Men was written today, let's say it never existed, yes, a lot of those characters would be black. A lot of those prominent position characters would be black. And so that's why when I think of the race swap thing, I'm not so offended by it because I feel like, again, it is a way to put us in positions and make us look like we talked about, no trauma porn. Put us in a position where we are, a black Superman is going to be the best character in DC Comics. They protect him. He 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 has what do we call it, um, as a writer, what do you call it, uh, plot armor. He yeah. has plot armor all the time. It's great to have a hero that's not, that we know ain't going to be killed off in three episodes, three issues. So that's my take on the race swap. I'm not against it because I feel like, again, it's just giving us a just do. But also, I'm not around talking about, like, we need more, you know, characters of color. We need more. I, I, create what you want to create because you're the creator. But I think if the, the door was open to more diversity back then, we would have more diversity now in our characters, especially in the elite characters. We would have it. So I okay. see it my time because I already know you're going to destroy that whole argument. And I'm going to be thinking about this whole week of how to get back <laughs> at you next week. So, Jason, go ahead. <laughs> you know, I, I somewhat would agree with you that, you know, some of these characters should be changed and definitely need to be updated for the, the world that we live in. I There's two types of, of wokeness for me. There is the one type where people actually care about telling diverse stories and actually are generally interested in having diverse voices and sharing these stories. And the other side is the people who are just trying to make a quick buck. Mm. Always the second one will always ring hollow and pause, particularly in the Star Wars movies, the recent ones. Uh, they were trying to be woke, and yet it just ended up being all about the white dude in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, like, my uh, my... Like my personal feeling is this: It's like we've been with Superman, Clark Kent as a white guy for eighty plus years. You know, there's no point to me in changing him into a black guy because it would kind of fundamentally change his character. Because you can't just swap out a white dude who's grown up in Kansas and becoming, you know, a black dude who grew up in Kansas while him having two almost fundamentally different experiences. Mm -hmm. So just changing it and kind of keeping everything the same is just basically putting Clark Kent in blackface. So like Ooh. I, for me would much rather you create a new character and have those experiences be a part of that new character. And still, he can still be Superman, but he's just not going to be Clark Kent Superman. Right. Um, and, and the thing is like, that's what DC is kind of, uh, and the comic lines are kind of really good at, is taking the legacy of a character and creating a new character 
and almost making that just as good or if not better than that character that preceded it. For example, Al Jordan is not the first Green Lantern. You know, he is like the second Green Lantern. You know, Alan Scott was the first Green Lantern, but we all know about Hal Jordan. You know, mm-hmm. John Stewart's way better than Hal Jordan. But, you know, uh, you know, Barry Allen, not the first Flash. You know, we've always already had a legacy of these characters taking on mantles of different things, of different, of earlier characters. And we can continue that legacy and, and make these, you know, newer characters still have the same sort of, you know, goal and heart of the original characters, but they're just different people carrying on that mantle. One of the best examples of this is Miles Morales. He is probably mm. at this point almost, if not as popular as or more popular than Peter Parker is as Spider-Man because he's carrying on that mantle. And there's actually creators in the room that understand, you know, how these characters should act and relate to the rest of the world because they are people of color or they at least talk to people of color. Unlike, you know, those guys back in the 30s who was like, I know black people, I guess this is what they like. <laughs> so for me, like there are characters, there are certain characters that could be swapped out for a different race and not really change anything. Like if they did a Booster Gold movie and they made a, a black guy Booster Gold, that would probably work because Booster Gold's from the future and it's probably mm-hmm. not a whole lot would change with his character from the future, you know? But, you know, making Superman black, that's just like trying to make Clark Kent black just it just rings of like how can we get the most money out of people and that seems like it's not trying to tell a story that is relatable to black people it's just trying to get black dollars and right. like the best characters even though they they are representation representative of the 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 groups that they're from they don't just tell stories about just, you know, Miles Morales isn't great just because he's black and Hispanic. Miles Morales is great because he's a Spider-Man. You know, we can all mm-hmm. relate to his struggles, even though you don't have, I'm not black and Hispanic, you know, a lot of you aren't. <laughs> but we can relate to his struggles because he's a good character. And that should be the most important thing. It's not just whether or not he is black or white or whatever. It's whether or not he's a good character. And we can create good characters of color, of different sex, sexualities, of different genders, and and as long as we are passionate about creating that character, so DC don't make Superman black just because you want to get money. Make Superman black and use characters that you know. Calvin Ellis is a black Superman. Bring him in and make that movie because you already have people in your stable of writers who are passionate about that character and can make that best damn character we possibly can. So that's my opinion on that thing. Fuck Superman being black unless <laughs> you are 100% want to make him black, I guess. <laughs> yeah, and again, like I said, I mean, I said, I figured you would destroy my argument like you just did very so, so eloquently did. Um, yes, I, I agree. Like, if you, if are you using the blackness as a money grab and a way to to just get that extra dollar, et cetera, or let's say reinvigorate the character. It's like an NFL team that's like, hey, we got a new jersey design for this year. And it's like, you're going to have this shit for one year, and it's that jersey is never going to come out of the Raptors ever again. Ever again. But you're just trying to get that, that money grab. Yes, it can have a feel of that. I guess for me, if you're going to – let's say let's keep with the Superman example because that's the biggest thing why the topic was built off of. 
if you're going to race swap Superman, and like you said, you're going to have him drop in Kansas and Smallville, and let's even say he gets picked up by white parents. Oh, that'd be terrible. I feel like if <laughs> it forces you now to have to hopefully, hopefully forces you because maybe they won't, maybe they won't feel like they have to. Hopefully, it forces you to have to tell that story of that disconnect of two white parents raising a black child and now having to deal with possible racism in Smallville that they never knew existed because it was a pretty much all white town. Yeah. That's the story I would be interested in. But like you said, you can you could do that and not have it be Kal-El. You can have something else do that as well. But as long as you, like you said, as long as you tell the stories that do have some cultural relevance to it, I'm kind of fine with it. But I think, like you said, it gets into the problem now is the mythos and are people going to be happy with, you know, the story being told from this point of view now and X, Y, and Z, because I think it's something honorable to tell a story of, which we do have comic books that have told the story numerous times before, of a black man who's fighting for this country and this world, but still gets treated like a black man when he's not behind the cape and the cow. Like, we know we have memory story. I mean, hell, Falcon and Winter Soldier hit on that. Or um, Icon or, uh, yeah. you know, Blue Marvel. Blue right? Marvel. Yeah, yeah. yeah and you're right. And that's what I said. So it's one of those things that goes to your point that, there's no reason to, to race swap them because you can tell those stories by via characters for it, or you can rewrite a black character's origin story to make those stories work as well. Um, but you did hit on something, and I'm just going to go run, let's run down a list of some of these characters and see if you think the <laughs> their race changing was a money grab or money uh, money grab or you think it's a legitimate character. So well, before we do that, that's also let me also preface and say you know all these characters are fictional in the first place; they're not real people. So right. literally, they can be whatever color they want. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Absolutely. like, let's also throw that out there. It's like this is fictional people. Like, don't make a movie about Martin Luther King and make him white, because then I'm someone going to die. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. So first one, um, Riri Williams. As I guess it's technically Ironheart, but she's supposed to be trying to take over for Tony Stark because Iron Man. Cash grab for her being a black woman, or you think that's legitimate? Just Storytelling device. Ah, uh, geez, that's a hard one. I think it's legitimate, but they kind of named her after Rihanna too, so I don't. I think it might be a cash grab, but they, <laughs> she hasn't really replaced Iron Man as of yet, so I think it's legitimate. Okay, uh, Camilla Khan taking over the Mrs. Marvel mantle after Captain Marvel left it. Hundred percent legitimate. They have treated that character with so much respect because, especially since she's. Muslim and Iranian, and that could easily get into character and stereotypes, and they've mm -hmm. not done that. 100% legitimate. Okay. And then I already think you already hit on um, that you think Miles Morales is legitimate. So that, that one is easy. What about uh, Amadeus Cho, who is the new Incredible Hulk? Well, Amadeus Cho incredible. <laughs> Amadeus Cho is his own superhero before he became the Incredible Hulk. Um, right. As you know, like the things that really bother me is like when they take an established character and just change his race without really changing his character. So Amadeus Cho, you know, he was already a part of the Marvel universe, and he decided to take on the the Hulk uh, mythos. Mm -hmm. I mean, all this stuff is cash grabs, but still, I feel like they're taking their time and taking uh, credit to make uh, an Asian man not be just there for the stereotypical stereotypical reasons. Like how many times? You see Asian characters be like the strong guy. Just never. Sure. never, never. All right, here's the one that I know is similar but a little different. 
Sam, well, because I, I said Nick Fury being a black. Ooh. So because now for people who don't know the backstory on it, the ultimate universe made him black. So it wasn't like they threw him in the regular 616 Marvel and he was black. They started a whole other universe and he's black in it. But what do you feel about that? Threw, then they threw him in the 616 universe. Well, the ultimate, it just depends on how much you like the ultimate universe. Like when I first read this, <laughs> I thought it was pretty cool that they made Nick Fury, Sam Jackson, because that's legitimately who they modeled Nick Fury off of the yep. ultimate universe, Sam Jackson. And then I also thought it was pretty cool that Sam Jackson was like, yeah, I'll play him in the movie because that's who you base it off of. And then they kind of retconned, or retconned it into the mainline Marvel Universe to have Nick Fury Jr. being black. So, like, it seems like they had a more of a, a plan to this than just, let's just change it just so we can be... there. But there's a lot of things in the Ultimate Universe where they just change it just to be changing it, and it does not work whatsoever. So, But this is the one that did work. All right, another one that's going to be a little more, uh, more difficult. Uh, Wally West and Iris West Allen in the Flash show, both they being black. Be. <laughs> they should still be white. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, yeah, okay, and, and this is probably the, my my brainwashing and my, and my thing of systemic racism or whatever in my own mind, but Wally West <laughs> is my Flash, all right? I grew mm -hmm. up as Wally West being my Flash. He's a redhead. I mean, he's already a minority. He's a redhead. So, like, there is no need to, for them to make it black other than to have more diversity to this all-white show. So that would have been all-white people. <laughs> so, no. They could have had, they could they could have added more characters. They could have added more characters to it and just kept them the way they he was. Because they so didn't try to walk it back in the comic books, too. They made him yep. black in the comic books and then tried to walk did. it back. So, yeah, that's <laughs> definitely just Trying to cat grab some cash, man. <laughs> okay, and then I think my last one is, and I think this is one that's more for TV. I believe that it was a rumor going around that they were going to do the a Nightwing movie, and I think Stephen, yeah, the gentleman from uh the, the guy that voices Invincible and Invincible, Stephen, Stephen uh, Lee? yeah. That then they were looking at casting him as Nightwing. That may work for me. Like, okay, there's there's really like nothing a part of Dick Grayson's character that would be indicatively white, and like he could change that. They could because I've already been thinking about this anyway. <laughs> okay, <laughs> like for me, like Nightwing and Jason Todd and. Tim Drake and even Damian Wayne, they could all probably be changed in race and still fundamentally be the same, especially Damian Wayne's because he could be Asian or Middle Eastern, depending on how you do race. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I feel like kind of this already works for me anyway, that I've probably already thought Dick Grayson was Asian in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the one person that they should be, they should race swap and it will, it will work. You're right. It's Raj Agul. Like they are Raj Agul. He should be black. He should be a straight African. Or, or if, uh, if any uh, other Lazarus, if any point in this world a Lazarus Piff would exist, it would be in Africa. What race don't crack? But he black can also be like you know he could pretty much be from anywhere that isn't traditionally European. He could be Middle Eastern. He could be Southeast Asian. He can be you know 
Eastern Asian. He could he could be anything really. He could be freaking Pacific Islander, and I'd be like, okay, that works for me too. <laughs> Any anything but Liam Neeson. Yeah, um. anything but Liam Neeson. Of course, they're gonna make they're gonna whitewash that guy and be like, oh, I'm racial. Like, no, you fucking are not. Get out of here. But that's always like so Even when I watch the animated series, I'm always like, why is Rage not black? Like, you would think the guy that's been around forever, or even um, Vandal Savage. Why yeah, Vandal Savage should be definitely should be black. Like, you know, the first but, human beings to walk this planet were black. How are these characters not black? Yeah, Randall Savage should definitely be black. He's freaking, he is like part of the first group of human beings, and he's white. No, that doesn't make no damn sense. Well, guys, I know it's going to be a sad moment here. To, we got to end the show. I know every week <laughs> everybody looks forward to this show, and it hurts them. We actually had one more segment we were going to do, but we're at an hour and 16. We're not going to keep you guys any longer. We are so glad and appreciative of you guys joining us, listening to us, talk our talk. Please comment. Please you let us know how you feel about everything. If we can be totally off. We can be totally on. Maybe you hate it, uh, Wokeman. Maybe you didn't like Lovecraft, Lovecraft Woke Country. <laughs> let us know how you feel about it. We will address it. And even if you, again, we, we do this open challenge. Every week we're going to start doing it. If you disagree with us and you are just so adamant that we're missing a point, please let us know. We will pull you onto the show and record and we, with us, and you can voice your grievance. And we will tell you why you're why you're wrong. <laughs> exactly, hundred <laughs> percent. Uh, Jaron had to go get a second shot, so he'll hopefully be a zombie for the next episode. Because um, that's what the shots do to you, according to everybody that I read on the internet. Gives you great five K, five G coverage, and makes yeah. you a zombie, evidently. So. But Jaren to be back next week with us, so we will enjoy that one. That's why we decided to sneak this all black episode in on your asses. One white guys away, and now white guys away. Let's go black. Uh, so, <laughs> well, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, as always, check us out on YouTube. Check us out on Facebook under Head Cannon Circus. Also, I'm on Instagram under Head Cannon Circus. We have Jason. You're on Instagram as Attributes uh, Fire. But on Twitter, it's Rise November. So I'll definitely tweet you back if you tweet at me. <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. I think I am Unsportsman Big J on Twitter when I both used to do nothing but sports only. So, and I just figured I'd keep the handle at this point in my life. So, but yeah, check us out. Please comment, respond, hit us up, let us know what you think. Tell us that we suck at life or tell us that we're great and wonderful human beings. And thank God someone spoke this truth into existence, whatever it may be. Also, let us know is guy was Gaia black from Planet uh, from, <laughs> from from Captain Planet. I'm gonna go with she was black. <laughs> she was black. I, I, I'm gonna go with that, but I need to know the answer because I think some people will be like, ah, Look, that melanin get kind of thin. Goldberg, you black. All right, I don't care if, you're, <laughs> if they paint you white as white. You black if you voice by Whoopi Goldberg. If you voice by Keith David, you black too. Goliath, oh, you're black. Hundred percent, hundred percent. If you don't like Keith David, you can't get you can't get away with a voice like that. You, you can't get away with that, like. Keep David voice is the blackest thing on this planet outside of maybe Morgan Freeman's. Uh, <laughs> but guys, thank you guys for listening and watching as always. We will see you all next week. Peace.